I invite you this morning to turn with me once again uh, to the book of James. The book of James, uh, you can follow along with the insert in the bulletin or grab one of the Bibles on the back table. I remind you, although some of you may not have been here the last couple weeks, that uh, this letter, this particular book of the Bible was written by James the Just, as he was known, and was penned to the early church instructing and encouraging them how to live out their faith in the risen Jesus. We're just three weeks into the study and we've already been challenged I think I've been challenged pretty significantly concerning how we ought to respond to the trials in our lives, the difficulties that we face, concerning where we look to for wisdom and bound up in both of those things, how we view our Heavenly Father. My question is, as my prayer was, is are you letting God's Word change you? Are you letting it change the way you think? Maybe the way you've long thought about something. Are you letting it change you to the point of reordering your days? Oh, James will drill down on this more in a few weeks on how we receive the Word, how we hear the Word. But I bring it up to remind you again that in this practical study of the book of James, we are out to be changed, to hear, and to respond to God's Word. And today, these verses that we're going to read, that I'm going to read, that we're going to talk about for a few minutes, are seeking to change us first by changing our perspective. And sure, James is going to ask of us something. He's going to ask us to do something, but it's a doing that flows from viewing. And hopefully I'll explain what that means. So listen and follow along as I read. I invite you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. James chapter 1, starting in verse 9 and reading through verse 12. He continues, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits." Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Amen. I want to begin this morning by reading a quote from Time Magazine, an article that I read this week. It says this, It says, seeing the world from above is a metamorphic experience. A leafless tree becomes a spider web. A circus transforms into a box of sweets, while a harvest field simplifies into slashes of flaxen and gold. Rarely do we get the opportunity to turn our perspective upside down. 
but prominent aerial photographers invite us to do just that. It's an article about drones and about the use of drones in photography and about the way that drones are changing the way we view things, the way we see things, and therefore changing our view of the world itself. The article continues, he says, the bird's eye perspective drones offer, hovering closer to the ground than a helicopter ever could, has been dubbed revolutionary. I begin here just to get in your minds that idea of a changed perspective of a perspective that turns your world upside down. Because drones help us see that there is more than what we see. In the Bible this morning, James in particular, these verses that I just read, wants to take us beyond an earthly view of things, beyond even a bird's eye or a drone's view of things, and it wants to turn our perspective upside down and give us as the sermon title states, a God's eye view of things. Of course, in a sense, that's what we're always after when we open up God's Word, is to see things, to see God as God sees things, as God is. But it's particularly true today, with things that are frankly hard in our lives to keep in perspective. And so there are three truths that I want us to consider this morning for just a few minutes. Three truths, and the first one is this. No matter who you are, Jesus is your boast. No matter who you are, Jesus alone is your boast. Or to say it another way, whether you are wealthy, whether you are in need, you need to see yourself in another angle, from another light. That is the true light of Jesus himself. Because you know as well as I do that we live in a world of excessive and misplaced boasting. But there's only one that's worthy of it, and his name is Jesus. And so how does James lead us there? How does his letter lead us there? Well, James is speaking. He's writing to real-world ancient people, and he divides his hearers into two categories, essentially. You have the rich poor, and you have the poor rich. And when you hear those two categories, if you weren't looking at me, I want you to picture in your mind a set of quotes under the first of each description. The rich poor and the poor rich. You see, it's what's in quotes that is hard to see. But it's just as real as what we see on the surface. In fact, it's more real. It's more of a reality than what we see on the surface. And so let's look at each for a few minutes. First, there is the rich poor. James calls them the lowly brother. The lowly brother. Two things are clear from the context of what James says here. This is a fellow Christian, 
a brother in the Lord. That's why he uses that familial language. And the lowliness that is spoken of in this brother is one that pertains to wealth. In other words, this brother is lowly because he is materially poor. Since the word translated here as lowly has with it the connotation of being unimportant, we might add to the fact that his poverty has brought with it a lowliness in society. Okay? The lowly brother. And this, of course, is, this is the plight of many that James is writing to as he writes this ancient letter to Jewish Christians scattered all over the Roman Empire, tr- struggling to make a living in a place that's far from where they grew up, far from where, what home is. And it's the plight of James himself. I mean, James was no stranger to this. James and his brother Jesus We know from the Gospels that they grew up materially poor. How do we know that? Well, when it speaks of Mary and Joseph bringing a sacrifice to the temple, what did they bring? Not the lamb, but doves. The sacrifice for those who couldn't afford such an animal. So James writes to these Lowly brothers struggling to make ends meet. Societies judge them based upon the clothes they wear, the food they eat, the houses that they live in. And he says to these, that's not who you are. I know you feel it. I know that the world tells you differently, but your lack of stuff doesn't define who you are. God defines who you are. And what does God say? That you are exalted. Rags on earth, don't forget that you are robed in the righteousness of Jesus himself, which means you will be decked in splendor and honor and glory in the new heavens. Ephesians chapter 2, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Even now, exalted, enslaved on earth, you're already free in Christ, and a position of rule awaits you in the new heavens. Romans 8, 16 and 17, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So James is reminding these hurting, struggling brothers and sisters in Christ of what they have, of who they are, peace with God in the midst of a world of chaos, fellowship in the family of God in the midst of a world of loneliness, purpose in the midst of a world that doesn't know what it's living for, and an inheritance in heaven that awaits. This is their exaltation. This is the exaltation that Christ has won for them. No matter who you are, no matter what you don't have, boast in it, he says. Take pride in him. You are rich no matter what. That's the lowly brother. I don't know how many of us feel 
that we're in that category as a lowly brother. Certainly when comparison comes, maybe we feel like we're in that category. But I think more of us are probably in the second category. James goes on to address the poor rich man. The poor rich man. Now, there's some question about whether James is talking about a believer or an unbeliever. When he switches from the lowly brother to the rich, is he talking about the believing rich or is he talking about unbelievers? And so, therefore, the statements that he makes would have to do with the the destiny of a rich man without Christ. I read a lot of people on this, and and there's a lot of division, but I'm going to say that in my study, though either interpretation is possible, I think that James is talking here to the believer that's been blessed with wealth. You see, it's certainly clear from Scripture that God has a heart for those who are materially needy, no doubt. But James is not here condemning those who have wealth, nor is he saying contrary to some in the modern evangelical church, that material wealth is a sign of God's blessing. He's simply recognizing what is. There will always be poverty. There will always be wealth, and to some degree, even within the church. But he says, hear this, rich man. The dangers of wealth are even greater And those who are rich must be even more vigilant concerning these things. And that's the next truth. See, the rich man is called to boast in his humiliation. Humiliation is the reality that while you have power and prestige, By the way, I was a little confusing. We'll get to the next truth in just a second. I'll say it real clearly. This humiliation that he calls the rich to is the humiliation that you may have power, you may have prestige because of your wealth in the eyes of those in this world, but as has been said many times, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And you, rich man, are just as spiritually bankrupt as those who have far less than you. And even more than that, that person, that lowly brother, is your brother. You are in community with them. You don't live in the high life that your money offers you. You live with different priorities. You live among different people. Your identification is with Him. And of course, that's one of the beauties of the church, of the body of Christ. The diversity that is represented in this room is not just diversity in age and generation, not just diversity in terms of ethnicity, but diversity even in terms of what each monthly paycheck looks like. And so James says to the rich, boast in this. 
Not that you are a self-made man or woman with multi, multiple property holdings and, and a cush retirement waiting for you. Boast only that you know Jesus. And that you are found in Him through grace alone. This is the, consist- the consistent teaching of Scripture. Paul sought to convey this perspective to Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 7, he says, For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. No matter who you are, Jesus is your boast. Likewise, he who was free when he is called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. No matter who you are, Jesus is your boast. And then the prophet speaks of it in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Brothers and sisters, in a world that wants to define you through its eyes, in a world that wants to categorize you, in a world that wants you to compare yourself, in a world that fuels comparison to make you feel inadequate, no matter who you are, remember whose you are. No matter what you don't have, remember who has you. That's what James is saying here to the church, to the ancient church, to Ascension Presbyterian. But James doesn't leave it there, and that's just verse 9 in the beginning of verse 10. Instead, he gives a warning to those who have been given much. This is for us. This is for us. And this is point number two. This is truth number two. See money for what it is. See money for what it really is, James reminds the church. You see, related to gaining God's perspective on differences in wealth, believers must not be duped by what money has to offer. So many are duped. Todd Gurley, running back for the L.A. Rams, just signed a $60 million contract. And they asked him about it at a news conference, and he said this, whoever said money doesn't make you happy lied. See, this is the prevailing opinion of our day. But James says, see money for what it is. You rich, see money for what it is. Think about it. What what is money? Money is something of value that is used as a medium of exchange. But where does that value come from? It's an ascribed value. 
And so we have, I'll give you a little history lesson here. In the history of mankind, we began, after this period of bartering, we began and first ascribed value to cattle, to livestock, because we saw the value in those things. Then historians tell us roughly in about 1200 B.C. that cowries, particularly in the east, in China, cowries, these beautiful shells that are found in the shallow waters of the Pacific and Indian Ocean, that they became exchanged and collected for goods. Leather was once used as currency in China, little pieces of animal skin. And then finally, in 1000 BC, metal coins came on the scene, and of course, that's what we know now, metal coins, paper currency. I go through all of that just to make us think about the point of seeing money for what it is. something that society has ascribed value to. And James says it's fleeting. It's all going away. And the picture that James gives is a vivid one. And we've all got dead lawns at home here in the Northwest to make this image all too clear. James reaches back in Old Testament imagery. He says, Isaiah 40, all flesh is grass and its beauty is like a flower of the field. Psalm 103, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over and it's gone and its place is no more. How much more is this true of the things that we possess? We must see money for what it really is. We must teach our kids to see money for what it really is is. And you know as well as I do that this is easier, as everything in the book of James has been so far, this is easier to say than it is to live out, to keep perspective. Because the fact of the matter is our money does solve problems. It does solve some of the problems that we have. But James says, Don't ever forget, even if you have been given much, don't let your possessions dupe you. Don't let them define you. Don't let them direct you, but see them for what they are. Of course, we know from the life of Jesus that he had confrontations about this with people. Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler comes to him. And he can't see beyond his possessions. And Jesus warned his disciples after that, knowing the power of our possessions, that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, we are rich. We are rich in both ways. We're rich exalted, seated in the heavenly places, and we are rich, materially rich. And James reminds us that prosperity is dangerous. It's dangerous. And this is one of the problems of sharing the gospel in our culture, isn't it? You see, with physical need, 
often comes a hunger for, for spiritual need. But that doesn't happen here, not us. We're comfortable. Our problems are solved, most of them, if we throw enough money at them. Why would we need anything else? And remember what the Lord Jesus said to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And so James reminds us, see money for what it is and live accordingly. It'll be here tomorrow, it'll be gone, excuse me, it'll be here today, it'll be gone tomorrow. So don't ascribe to it any more value than it deserves. Instead, and here's the last brief truth to think about from verse 12, fix your eyes on the prize. Fix your eyes on the prize. James has been seeking to give us a new perspective on things, to turn our perspective upside down. And here is the ultimate perspective adjustment. Verse 12, James comes full circle to where he began. Do you see the words that we've seen already? The word trial, the word test, all that we've been talking about this morning. Poverty, wealth, possession, it's all part of God's testing. It's all part of the trials that we experience. And so James says, rejoice in God's uncomfortable grace. We went there. Trust in the God who gives wisdom. We went there. Boast in Christ alone and see money for what it is in your poverty, in your wealth. It doesn't matter. And if you can put all of this together, and stand fast, James says, you will be blessed. See, James lifts our eyes to the, the promised reward. Life and more life. See, he gives us, and here's a great word, big word coming. He gives us an eschatological perspective. See, the crown that he gives here, that he shows us that he speaks of is the victor's crown. It represents the accomplishment of, of finishing the race. Paul sat in a Roman prison and he wrote of this promise in anticipation to his friend Timothy. I have fought the good fight, Paul said. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearance. You see, it's true that our lives ultimately are not about us. That you following Jesus is not ultimately about what you get for following Jesus. But the fact of the matter is, there is something in it for you. And Jesus holds that out and says, fix your eyes here. The crown of life awaits 
And it's worth all the trouble that you experience. So brothers and sisters, in the trials, in the struggle, in your wealth, in your poverty, live for His promises, live for the one to come. Life and more life through Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You this morning for this exhortation from Your servant James. And we ask that You would take this word, that it would find deep root in our heart, that for some it would loosen our grip to the things of this world. It would readjust our thinking, our priorities, even our spending. And for those who are, for those who are hurting, for those who feel month after month the financial need, may this be an encouragement of where they are seated in the heavenly realms, of what awaits them life and more life. Oh, Father, may we be a community of saints that lives these promises, that shows to a watching world that our life, our priority, our, our community is different than how the world operates. Oh, Father, this I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.